Hi, my name is Barry Sterling Mitchell. Today is July 19th, 2023, and this is Ben and Barry on football. Hey, what's up out there, everybody? This is your co-host, Ben Dickerson. Yes, Ben and Barry on football. We try to cover everything. We try to come up with good content for you over the course of the year, not just during the season. But training camp will be starting soon, meaning that we passed a very, very important date. And that was the date that was the deadline this past Monday for teams who put franchise tags on particular players. That was the deadline for them to sign a multi-year contract. I, I, you know what cracks me up, Barry? Let me say this. When they talk about it on TV, they always say, Deadline for signing a long-term contract. What's a long-term contract in the NFL? Six years, years maybe, <laughs> if you're a quarterback. Other than that, three, four years is long. So I call it a multi-year contract. So that date has come and gone, and there are several guys. There's two guys that don't even have a team to play on, and there's three other guys who got slapped with the franchise tag, and they were all running backs. So the running back position is the one I want to talk about right now. That's okay with you. Can we start off with that? Go get it. Go get it. Wonderful. Wonderful. So now I know everybody's been watching TV and it's been the subject of the main subject or one of the main subjects on every single sports show is the devaluation of the running back position and certain running backs that got slapped with the tag and don't want to play on the tag and been having uh, contract negotiations that haven't been working out too well. So we're going to talk about a few of those guys. We're also going to talk about the situation and why the situation may be the way it is. Now, I'm not going to get too far in depth about why I think the running back uh, position has been devalued. I will mention it, and I'll throw some things out there about how I feel, but it's probably going to be roughly along the same lines as some of the other talking heads on television think, but we'll see how that goes. So anyway, it's 2023. The 2023 season's about to start. This past Monday, the franchise tag uh, deadline went by, and the running back position has been unceremoniously devalued by owners and general managers. Now, general managers obviously are the guys that have to deal with the uh, salary cap and divvy out the money according to, uh, you know, who they think are the most important players, the players that can or cannot be replaced, the players. Uh, every team's going to be different, obviously, but the salary cap is the same for everybody. So you want to try to get everybody in there paid that you're going to need over the course of the season and get them under the cap. Now, that takes some maneuvering. Unfortunately, this devaluation of running backs has come into play. And there's some really good backs that seem to be suffering the consequences. Now, right now, we're looking at Dalvin Cook and Kareem Hunt, who are unrestricted free agents that have been released by their teams, and they have not yet been picked up by a new team. Okay, that's over there. Now, we're also talking about, about Tony Pollard, Saquon Barkley, and Josh Jacobs who have all been hit with the franchise tag. Now, from a management perspective, and this is going to be kind of informational, I hope. This, this is something that hasn't been talked about a lot on television. From a management perspective, I get it. You know, it's hard to justify giving a multi-year contract 
to a position group whose skill set theoretically, and some people would say definitely, deteriorates the more they're asked to do and the harder they play. Uh, most positions, even on the offensive and defensive lines, have very specific skill sets that allow them to perfect their craft over time. And actually sometimes, in the case of like receivers and quarterbacks, get better over time or be able to produce more over time. The running back position is not really like that. Also, there's people that go by this old school uh, average length of a running back's career is three years. Now, that may be true if you count every running back that comes into the NFL. Obviously, there are some career-ending injuries. And obviously, there's some guys who just get cut before they've been on a team for three years. They just can't, they just can't make it in the NFL. So if you count them, yeah, that probably will drag it down to a three-year lifespan. So in order to look at that a different way, what I did was um, I took the average career length of the top 10 running backs in the year 2022, which was just last season, just the top 10. Well, at first I did just the top 10. Just to double check myself though, I went back and I did 20 of the 32 starting running backs from last year. That's 20 guys. So I took, a, I took 10 of the best and then I took 20 from every team in the NFL or, or 20 of the teams in the NFL. Now, when I did the top 10, the guy that's been around the longest is Derrick Henry. He just finished his seventh season. The guy that's been in the league the shortest was Ramondre Stevenson, who just finished his second season. Now, this is just the top 10 ranked from last season. When I averaged that number, it came out to five years. Okay? When I went back to double-check myself and I did 20 guys – just a random 20 of the 32, which included a bunch of rookies. That top 10, excuse me, didn't include any rookies that only had one year service. Ramondre Stevenson had two. This, uh, the top 20 counted maybe four or five, maybe one, two, three, at least three rookies and three or four second year players. It still came to 4.6 years per play uh, average. 4.6, you ran off, it's another five years. Okay, so now, keeping that in mind, all rookie contracts are four years long with a set salary floor and a set salary ceiling, okay? It can't be any lower than a certain, I don't have the certain numbers, but it can't be any lower than a certain number and it can't go above a certain number, okay? Now, Players and teams are allowed to renegotiate uh, a guy's contract once he reaches the third or once he completes the third year of his rookie contract. Or if they don't want to do that, they're allowed to exercise a fifth year option for players that are selected in the first round. Only players that are selected in the first round. So every rookie gets a four year contract. But if you're selected in the first round, you can get a fifth-year option. But it's up to the team whether they want to exercise the fifth-year option or not. So think about it. If you're a first-round running back, and obviously running backs' careers 
can be short or long or whatever. I, I, I track that too. Some of the longer ones, we can talk about that later. But the bottom line is the first five years, if you come in and you start right away, are probably your best years. So by the time a team exercises your fifth year option, you've probably already played most of your best ball. Not saying you won't still be productive, but I'm just saying them first five years for running back are critical. So you're just getting out of your rookie contract that first five years before you try to get your second year, your second contract, which is the one where you really secure the bag, as they like to say, and get a multi-year contract and make some real money. Okay. Now, if a team chooses to exercise the option, the player's base salary becomes the equivalent of the franchise tag for his position and is fully guaranteed. Now, I believe that rule just came into place. And the reason I say that is because we all know that the franchise tag number for running backs is $10 million. However, I went back and checked last year, the Giants exercised Saquon Barkley's fifth-year option, and he played for seven-point-something million. Okay, so this thing about matching the uh, the franchise tag number for the position that you play just came into place probably uh, last offseason or this offseason. Rather. Now, the player can, in fact, make more in his fifth-year option depending on a tier system. This is also something that's new that takes into effect playing time and Pro Bowl selections. So if the Cowboys had decided to exercise the fifth-year option for Tony Pollard because he didn't start and didn't play a whole lot his first few years, that would take him out of part of that tier system. And I don't even remember if he made the Pro Bowl. But a guy like Saquon, who started from day one and has gotten plenty of playing time and also was selected for the Pro Bowl, that would make a difference. So that would be more money that he could make on his fifth-year option. I know this is getting, but this has a lot to do with what's going on now, okay? Now, if the team decides not to exercise the fifth-year option, then the player becomes a free agent and can negotiate a multi-year deal with his current team or a new team, or the current team can slap him with the franchise tag and essentially squeeze one more year out of him without signing that multi-year deal that the player obviously is trying to get. Uh, now let's talk about these three main guys. Tony Pollard got his first chance to be a first string running back for the Cowboys just last season. And he finished the last year of his rookie deal last season also. So he wasn't a first round pick. So that four year deal he got for his rookie deal, he played the last year of that. He rushed for 1,007 yards. He caught 39 passes for 371 yards, and he scored 12 total touchdowns. That's a pretty good year. But with only one really strong season under his belt, he wasn't able to negotiate a long-term deal with Dallas. He really didn't have, you know what I mean, a, a lot of oomph behind him to negotiate a long-term deal. So he's kind of like on a prove-it year. So he went ahead and signed his franchise deal. Saquon Barkley played on his fifth-year option last season. Like I said, his basic pay was $7 million. 
he it was it was a little more because you know I, I'm sure he made a Pro Bowl or two, and he had plenty of playing time. So he he hit the tier system. Uh, he rushed for. 1,312 yards. He caught 57 balls for an additional 338 yards. And he scored 10 touchdowns. And he looked to perform well enough to get a long-term deal. But structure and guaranteed money could not be worked out between him and the Giants. And that seems to be the sticking point as to why he hasn't signed his uh, multi-year deal. So... They decided to hit him with the tag. Now, whatever they offered him, for whatever reason, maybe it had something to do with the amount of money that was guaranteed or the structure of the of the contract. He didn't like it. He didn't want to sign it. And whatever he was asking for, the Giants did not want to give him. So they said, we're just going to put the franchise tag on. Now, the Giants put something out. And here's where I have to control myself so I don't go into my rant. The Giants put something out in the media saying that Saquon Barkley asked for a $16 million contract similar to Christian McCaffrey's. Saquon Barkley said that was not true. Today, I heard Saquon Barkley say that the Giants told him, you might as well sign this deal because if you don't, we can franchise you again next year. That sounds like a threat. I understand why he's pissed. OK, <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying now, uh, because the deadline has passed, he'll have to play on the tag or he'll have to sit out the season. I don't see him sitting out the season. Everybody needs to remember uh, what's his name um, that played for the Steelers. Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell sat out of season and it didn't work out too well for him. The question is. When will he be willing to sign the tag and come in and play? Is he going to sit out all of training camp? Is he going to miss week one, week two, week three? Who knows? Okay? So that remains to be seen. Now, the Raiders decided that this, this is working. You know, I'm a Giants fan. The Barkley situation is bad enough. But this actually, to me, is worse. The Raiders decided not to exercise Josh Jacobs' fifth-year option. He was a first-round pick. He had a fifth-year option. And instead of just paying him the $10 million plus the incentives he would have gotten from the tier system because he's made Pro Bowls and he's been a starter from day one, okay, they could have exercised his fifth-year option and done that. They refused to option, give him the fifth-year option, and they went in negotiations, and for whatever reason, I don't think the Raiders tried really hard, Was they weren't able to sign a long-term deal. Now, in my eyes, that's not a good look on behalf of the Raiders. Really, not a good look. Not only did Jacobs lead the league in rushing last season with 1,653 yards, that's a 4.9-yard per carry average. He scored 12 touchdowns. He also caught 53 balls. That's better than a lot of backup receivers for an additional 400 yards. He led the league in total yards from scrimmage, and he made first team all pro. Not pro bowl, first team all pro. They're sticking it to him, man. <laughs> they are sticking it to him. Barkley and Jacobs were both reported to have wanted 
$16 million deals like McCaffrey's, and they both denied it. They were both quoted as saying they were not trying to reset the running back market. Both of them said those words. We are not trying, because that's what the, the teams were saying. Now, from a management perspective, it's, uh, well, yeah, I, I, I went over that already. Uh, let me see, let me see, let me see. I went over that already. I went over that. You're going to have to, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to edit me. I lost my place here, but I think I'm done. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So that's the situation with those two guys. They're my main focus. Uh, Pollard is obviously a main focus, but he went ahead and signed his tag deal. So I'm sure he'll be in camp right off the bat. Uh, it remains to be seen. Whether Jacobs and Barkley, who are both, I believe, threatening to sit out the season, but I really don't think they will. I don't think that would be a good idea for either one of them, but I understand how they're feeling. And uh, there's um, there's a clip on our uh, on our page in reference to the other running backs in the league speaking out. Obviously, I think that's really cool for them to be talking about their brethren uh, you know, all running backs sticking together and all that stuff. Not only are they doing that, sticking up for their brothers, but several of them are going to be free agents next year. So including Eckler, including Jacobs and Barkley again, including Derrick Henry and a bunch of other guys. So what's going on now is extremely important to just about every running back out there that's coming up on free agency in the, in the near future. So again, very important subject, but we're going to have to wait and see what happens with Barkley and Jacobs. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> I thought about you because it, it was like the sports news people heard you say you were going to do a report on this this week. So they, got they all jumped first. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, they're watching the videos. <laughs> now, interesting one of the things that I heard about Josh was that there's some kind of study that says after a, now this is going to be somewhat, um, I hope I'm not, it won't be completely exact, exact, but I got something to the effect of once a player has surpassed 3000 yards in like two seasons or three seasons or something like that, right. their productivity drops. There's a study okay. there. So I think, well, it's been said that that might be part of what they're holding against Josh Jacobs. Like he's going to fall off the side of the uh, earth or something. In, in right. When they do that, it's the same thing as the, the average, the three-year average. Okay. They're talking about every single running back that was ever employed by an NFL team. That's crazy. They don't talk about Frank Gore, 16 seasons, Emmitt Smith, 15 seasons. Marcus Allen, 16. Peyton, 13. Jerome Bettis, 13. Aaron, uh, uh, Adrian Peterson, 15. Thurman Thomas, 13. They don't talk about any of those guys. Like, there'll never be another great running back ever again. Come on, man. <laughs> and, and it's interesting um, when you talk about um, sitting out. And I've heard everyone mention Le'Veon Bell as saying, well, it didn't work out well for him. Le'Veon Bell, in my in my estimation, was 
a kind of a unique case because he was like a disgruntled running back with a very specific style. And he left his team and went to another team. And I don't think that the styles meshed up. And I don't think he was the same back after he held out. Whereas when he was with Pittsburgh, he had the ability to, to take the handoff, kind of stop, see what's happening, and then take off up through, through the hole. Unlike anybody else, he had that capability. But when he where did he go? The Jets or something like that? Went to the Jets. That didn't work anymore. It's just he didn't have that anymore with him. So I think he was, in, in a way, I question whether he's a good analogy for someone who's holding out. I don't think if Barkley went anyplace else, he would have that same type of problem. Barkley is going to be a monster, I think, wherever he goes. Um, so I, I don't know. It, it, even if he holds out a year, I don't know if it would hurt him. I mean, how long was he out? How long was he out with his injury? And then when he came back, he came back with a vengeance. So he kind of knows what it's like to be out, still stay in shape, prepare yourself for the next season. So I just question that analogy. And last of all, you're absolutely right with about Tony Pollard. Um, he, you know, he was smart to go ahead and take it because he is on a prove it year. And the thing he seems he has to prove is whether he can be the bell cap. You know, it's one thing to come in when Zeke, you know, to, to offset Zeke after Zeke then pounded into the line. Now you're going to be the one pounding into the line, and we'll see how he holds up. You know, that's going to be the question there with with Tony Pollard. But um, the 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 whole running back thing and the devaluation of the running back, uh, especially now, some of these guys that are coming out of college, they don't even want to call them running backs anymore. They're calling them, what is it that they're calling them now? Like the ultimate weapon or playmaker, or they, they've got some other term. They call them what they want. They're catching running as back. many passes as they are catching the ball which was what Le'Veon Bell was complaining about. He's like, I'm like a receiver, so I should be paid somewhere between a running back and receiver at least. But they're, they've returned them, but they haven't um, they haven't changed that their attitude toward paying them. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying, and, and, and it's all, you know, it's all correct. Why we, we kind of – this numbers game, I don't know if it's healthy for, for, the, for the league as well as for the teams. Um, the Raiders in particular are very weird in terms of, I mean, I, you know, you got to question some of their moves. I mean, they, they get rid of um, uh, their quarterback and then they bring in Garoppolo, who was my former quarterback for my beloved Niners. I don't think he's a better quarterback than Derek Carr. <laughs> At least Derek Carr, uh, you know, pretty much stayed healthy. You know, if, if the best uh, ability is availability, Derek Carr has it all over um, Garoppolo, but long story short, um, they, I think they're kind of weird in terms of what they're doing anyway. I really don't understand what they're trying to do over there um, in Vegas. So thank you for, for that. Um, do you have anything else you want to say before we move on? Yeah. I know who to blame it on. Uh-oh. Who? Mike Sanahan. And Kyle Shanahan. And Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> you know why? Why? Mike Shanahan rode Terrell Davis like a bucking Bronco <laughs> to two Super Bowls and 2,000 yards one year. And when he went down, he plugged in Olandis Gary 
and Mike Anderson, and they both ripped off 1,000-plus-yard seasons. Mm. Now, as football people, we know it was really about the scheme in the offensive lines, but he proved that it could be done. Then his son, Kyle, Kyle Shanahan, Shanahan, has turned around and done the same thing. <clears throat> Every year, they've had a different leading rusher. Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson, Elijah Mitchell, Christian McCaffrey, and there was Matt Breida one year. Are you kidding me? I hate Matt Breida. He was their leading rusher one year. He I love Matt Breida, but he's a Niner, so I love all my Niners. I'm just saying, they've <laughs> kind of shown that it can be done. But the, what people, what teams are missing is they know how to do it. Every team doesn't know how to do it. I don't know. I just, I just, I, I get upset when you do your job and you do it extremely well and you prove your worth, and then you don't get what you're worth because of age or workload or, you know, speculation. I understand contracts are given partly on what they expect you to do in the future. Um, it just, it just doesn't seem fair. Now, when I met, when I mentioned to you that the uh... Giants had only three, about three million in cap space. You said, oh, that's easy. That's easy. Teams do it every year. Well, they didn't want to do it, apparently. So No, I didn't say they, they wanted to. I said they could if they wanted to. Oh, yeah. They, if they they're got not, this they're, guy. They're not, this not guy. doing it. They're not not doing it because they don't have the money. They offered him something, and they offered him more than $10 million. So there you have it. What do you think about what people are saying about the money they gave Daniel Jones as opposed to? Well, that, that didn't help, but that doesn't stop them from signing him. They had to offer him at least $12 million. They claimed they offered him 13 plus and it was uh, 20-something for two years they offered him. But he either didn't like the years or didn't like something about the structure of the contact, contract or they didn't guarantee him enough. There was a sticking point there somewhere. So the money can be found. That's not the issue. Okay. All right. All right. And, and, and again, your point is so well taken in that these are not um, run-of-the-mill average backs. These right. are the top backs in the league. They're top backs. Exactly. <laughs> They're the top backs in the league. They, they can't get contracts like they want. And next season, there's going to be a bunch more. Jonathan Taylor. Derrick Henry, Eckler, they're all going to be free agents next year. The only entity I, I think that can help them right now that I can think of is the NFLPA. Because that rookie contract you just talked about kind of locks them in. But if that's their most productive time, you might have to have a running back exception for rookie running backs to allow them to come in and make closer to market money instead of putting them on what's called a rookie contract, which is going to stifle what they make. Or lower it from a mandatory four years to three. That's another option. Three or two or something like and that. And if you're a first rounder, three years with a fourth year option. You got to do something, man. Yeah. You got to do something. Yeah, because the run, I know they're you know, heavy on the pass game, but the run game is still – 
vital. Everybody knows you got to have a running game. You got to have a running game. So these teams are acting like ah, running backs are a dime a dozen. No, they're not. No, they're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that. We'll uh, continue to follow up with how the uh, running backs are doing. All right. Let's get ready to move on to the final episode in our series, Brain Trust of the NFL. This week, Benny, we're going to do the NFC West, where my beloved Niners are. And as usual, we're going to go by record first to last where we talk about the team. So the first team up is going to be the 49ers. All righty. So brain trust of the NFL, San Francisco 49ers. Let's take a quick look here. We got a lot of pictures here, Benny. <laughs> the 49ers are a special case. First, John Lynch, general manager, head coach, Kyle Shanahan, Offensive coordinator, and this is a weird one, Chris Forster. Defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes. Special teams coordinator, Brian Schneider. And as far as the quarterbacks are concerned, it's still up in the air. Brock Purdy is leading the way, seems to be the favorite there. Trey Lance is under pressure, questions. And they brought in Sam Darnold, which I thought was kind of weird because I believe Sam Darnold is another one of those guys that I count the stat of a brain farts on, but he seems to have shown an ability to run. And if you're a quarterback that can move, you can probably work in the Kyle Shanahan offense. So it's interesting to, to, to see, and he's competing. He got a guy here with multiple years of, uh, of time in the, in the league competing against a second string or, or for a second string against quarterback Trey Lance. I, it would be interesting if Sam Darnold performed well enough in preseason to, to uh, displace Brock Purdy, but I doubt it. Let's go back, though, and start off with our general manager, John Lynch. Now, Ben, first of all, last year the Niners won 13 games, lost four games. Their uh, points for was 450. Their points against was 277, giving them a net point of plus 173, one of the top net point leaders in the league. Now, John Lynch is in the sixth season as the team's general manager. He had a 15-year playing career and more than eight seasons as an NFL analyst. Do you remember him as an analyst, Benny? I kind of John Lynch him much as an analyst. Nah, I don't think he did any major games. Okay. Yeah. Well, they say he's one of the most respected players to ever play the game of football. He's a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2021. And in 2020, the Niners signed him to an extension. They say since he came to the Niners, he's been vigilant in seeking and acquiring the players that embody the team's culture on the field and in the community. He works hand-in-hand -hand with Kyle Shanahan and the coaching staff to continue to add players through all available avenues. Follow their, following their 13-3 and 3 regular season record and a trip to Super Bowl 54, he was named the 2019 Executive of the Year by Pro Football Writers of America. And then this was after his third season as the team general's manager. 
He joined the Niners in 2017. They say he was a color analyst for Fox Sports from 2009 to 16. In his final season, he manned the number two broadcast crew along with play-by-play announcer Kevin Burkhart. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. He worked with Burkhart. Okay. Now, now we remember a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. He was, <laughs> he was nothing special. Well, he was one of the all-time great he had one of the all-time great NFL careers while he was with the Bucks from 1993 to 2003 and with the Broncos from 04 to 07. He's a four-time All-Pro and nine-time Pro Bowl selection and the Bucks team captain as they played in Super Bowl 37. He's been inducted into the Ring of Honor in both Tampa Bay and in Denver. He attended Stanford University and excelled in both football and baseball, earning second-team All-American and first-team All-Pac-10 conferences as a senior while playing for Hall of Fame coach Bill Walsh. That I did not know, Benny. It says, Stanford. Legendary coach Bill Walsh returned to Stanford in 1992 and told Lynch what he needed to hear in terms of his future and his choice of sports. And this is interesting because Lynch said Walsh changed his life. Walsh showed Lynch a short tape reel of about five plays from legendary NFL safety Ronnie Lott. I'm living in Niederland. I'm loving this. I'm loving this. And then matched it up with some clips from Lynch's junior year. He said, one day I received a call from Bill. He said, hey, John, this is Bill Walsh. I've been studying our defense last year. And, John, you are our best defensive player. Now, this is back in the Stanford days. He said, I said to him, Coach, with all due respect, I played safety for one year and I played half the snaps. How could you possibly arrive at that opinion? He said, simply the film. I watched it, and you can be a pro bowl safety in the NFL. Bill Walsh told him that, okay? He thought baseball was going to be his future, but after that, boom, it became football. So he was selected in the third round 82nd overall by the Bucks, uh, following his career on the diamond for the Cardinals. Uh, he was selected in the second round of the 1992 Major League Baseball draft by the Florida Marlins. In addition to his play on the field, he's also a pillar of the community. Him and his wife have formed the John Lynch Foundation, which is committed to inspiring young people to become leaders through uh, scholarship, sports participation, and community involvement. And the 2021 Quincy Jones Exceptional Advocacy Award recipient. Give me a little funk with that award. Can you please? Can you please? So there you go. That's general manager John Lynch. Now he's working with head coach Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan is the 20th head coach of the Niners. He signed a multi-year contract back in 2020. In 2019, he was named Coach of the Year by Sporting News and, NS and NFC Coach of the Year by the Committee of 101 after leading the Niners to a 13-3 regular season record, the NFC West Division title, and appearance in Super Bowl 54. <clears throat> Before coming to the Niners, he had 15 years of coaching experience at the NFL level. Nine as an offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons. He then coached the Browns, Washington, and the Houston Texans. In six of his nine seasons as an offensive coordinator, 
Shanahan directed an offense that ranked in the top 10 in NFL and yards gained. After the 2016 season, he was named Associate Press Assistant Coach of the Year, Coordinator of the Year by Sporting News, and Assistant Coach of the Year by Pro Football Writers of America after a record-setting performance by the Falcons offense on the way to the NFC South Division title and an appearance in Super Bowl 51. Under Shanahan, the 2016 Falcons set franchise records in yards per game at 415.8. It was rocking, wasn't it? Before that, he had four seasons with the Texans, including the final two as the team's OC, where he worked with one quarterback, one Matt Schaub. He broke into the NFL with the Buccaneers in 04, where he served as an offensive quality control coach. Ding, ding, ding. Thank you for your definition of quality control coach in last week's show. His coaching experience came as a graduate experience at UCLA in 2003. He was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, played wide receiver at Duke before transferring to University of Texas, where he spent two seasons. His father, Mike, served as a 49ers OC from 92 to 94. I did not know that. He was the head coach of the Broncos and Washington, where he accumulated an overall win record of 178 victories, including victories in Super Bowl 32 and 33. So there you go. You got your roots. You got your uh, all your awards. And that's a nice, long history for Kyle Shanahan. Let me now, say something real fast. Go ahead. Anybody, anybody out there listening and including you, I give you a little assignment. Go back and look at the coaching staff under Mike Shanahan when he coached with Washington. You're going to see a whole bunch of names you know. You're going to you're going to see a couple of big limbs on that Shanahan tree. I think you might see this a lot of them in this segment with the other teams. Let's take a look. But the other teams that we've already done? No, that we're going to look at. This, oh, 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 just this conference, uh, just this division alone? Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple. Yeah. Now, Chris Forrester is listed as the offensive coordinator, run game coordinator, offensive line coach. Oh, geez. Yeah. They I'll tell you what that reminds me of right off the bat. Don't say uh, Patriots. <laughs> No, no, well, no, not exactly. More like um, uh, Staley. Right, right. When he's with the Eagles. Well, um, there were two or three or four names that came up relative to um, who the offensive coordinator would be. But um, I went with him. He's listed in that capacity but as the run game coordinator, more so as the OC. Yeah, everybody knows Shanahan calls the plays. Yeah, we know that. Before coming to the Niners, he had two seasons with the Dolphins as the run game coordinator, offensive line coach, and offensive, uh, yeah, offensive line coach of both 2017 and 2016. He also worked with Washington 
Uh, for Forster's unit assisted run, running back Alfred Morris to reach a thousand yards for a third consecutive season and a trip to the 2015 Pro Bowl. His offensive line aided uh, one of the NFL's top rushing attacks in 2012 and 13. Before that, he worked with the offensive line again at with the Niners. Uh, he was originally brought on as a co offensive line coach before being named the offensive line coach. He also was an offensive line coach for the Ravens. And before that, he was the offensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins, the tight ends coach for the Indianapolis Colts, and the offensive line coach for the Buccaneers. While in Tampa Bay, he helped three players make a combined five Pro Bowls. That's Tony Mayberry, Randall McDaniels, and Jeff Christie. Uh, as the assistant offensive tight ends coach for the Vikings, he helped tutor Pro Bowl Hall of Fame inductee guard uh, Randall McDaniel, who earned Pro Bowl uh, appearances in all three seasons. He worked in college as the OS, as the offensive line coach for the University of Minnesota at Stanford. There he back at Stanford again, an offensive line coach for Colorado State. Began his coaching career as a graduate assistant at Colorado State and graduated with a degree in history. He had a successful playing career with Colorado State as a center from 79 to 82, starting as a walk-on before earning a scholarship as a sophomore. So he had a little bit of playing experience, and he's been around to a number of different teams. Now, this is your boy, Steve Welks, up as, at the D.C. Uh, he comes from the Carolina Panthers, where he was promoted at, to interim head coach in week six after initially serving as a secondary defensive pass game coordinator. Panthers went six and six, finished second in the NFC under him, following a one and four start to the season. We never liked the fact that they didn't give him that job. Before Carolina, he was a defensive coordinator at the University of Missouri. Before that, he was a defensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns and head coach of the Arizona Cardinals back in 2018. He spent six seasons with the Panthers in his first stint with the team as a defensive back coach, assistant head coach, defensive back coach, and assistant head coach, defensive coordinator. He spent six seasons as the defensive back coach for the Chargers from 2009 to 11 and the Bears from 2006 to 09. He started his coaching career at the collegiate level as a D-back coach at the University of Washington, also Notre Dame, Bowling Green, Appalachian State University, and Illinois State University. He served as a defensive coordinator at East Tennessee State University, Savannah State, Johnson C. Smith University, as well as spending the 1990-99 season as the head coach of Savannah State. He's out in Charlotte, North Carolina, and played collegially as a defensive back at Appalachian State University. So there's your defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes. Special teams coordinator Brian Schneider, this is his first season. He joined the Niners after 12 years of experience. From 2010 to 20, he worked as a special teams coordinator with the Seattle Seahawks. He joined Seattle 
After one season as a special teams coordinator at the University of Southern California, he coached special teams and tight ends at Iowa State. He had a brief stint at the Air Force Academy in 2007 prior to being hired by the Raiders as a special teams coordinator. He joined Iowa State after three seasons at UCLA, working with the linebackers and safeties in addition to special teams. At that time, he worked with one Maurice Jones-Drew, who led the nation in punt returns in 2005. Can you imagine that little bowling ball coming at you on a punt return? <laughs> he began his coaching career as a graduate assistant at his alma mater, Colorado State University, for three years working with special teams and defense. He was later promoted as a full-time assistant for the following six seasons and a special teams coordinator and tight ends coach. He was a linebacker, a letter winner for Colorado State, started three seasons, earned first-team All-Western Athletic Conference honors as a senior. He has his bachelor degree in social science. So there you go. That's Ryan Schneider. We're looking at the quarterbacks real quick here. Let's start off with Dar Sam Darnold. Last year, he had seven touchdowns, three interceptions, he threw for 1,143 yards and has a rating of 92.65. His Madden rating is 71, Ben. He's 25 years old, still relatively young. I was a little surprised that he was that, still that young. He's been around for a minute. His speed is rated at 79, his strength 60. His agility is 80. I was surprised about that. His acceleration is 82 and his awareness 72. So he's got agility and acceleration, uh, which is close to back level, running back level as a quarterback. Originally, he was drafted by the Jets as a third overall pick in the 2018 draft. In his five-year career with the Jets from 2018 to 2020 and the Panthers 21 to 22, he appeared in 56 games with 55 starts and completed 59.7% of his passes. He had 61 touchdowns, career passing rate of 78.2. So in 2022, he started six games with the Panthers. He threw uh, for 58% for 1,143 yards and two touchdowns. He's out of San Clemente, California, went to the University of Southern California for three years uh, where he had 24 starts and threw for 64.9% uh, for 7,229 yards and 57 touchdowns, 137 carries for 302 yards and seven TDs on the ground as a Trojan. So he's got a lot of history behind him. Next up, we have Trey Lance. Last year, he had zero touchdowns, one interception, 194 yards, and a rating of 55.04. His rating overall is also 71. He's 22 years old. His speed is listed at 87, strength 80, excuse me, strength 71. Acceleration is 91. His agility is 89 and his awareness 56. So you see where he has his challenges here. He started in 19 games. Um in three years at North Dakota State and completed 
Fished 65% of his passes. He had 30 TDs and one interception. That was one of the things I think they really liked about him. He didn't throw a lot of interceptions. He threw hardly any as a college player. Um, as a sophomore in 2020, he started one game, completed 15 of 20 before uh, COVID canceled that season. So he got caught up in that COVID situation. Um, he became the first freshman to be awarded the Stats FCS Walter Payton Award as a top offensive player in the football championship subdivision and won the Jerry Rice Awards as a top freshman player before becoming the first player to win both a major FCS Legacy Award in the same season. He redshirted in 2018. He is the son of Carlton and Angie Lance. He majored in strategy, strategic communication with a minor in business at North Dakota State. Uh, his father, Carlton, played football for Southwestern Minnesota State and attended NFL camps with the Oilers and the Niners. Did not know that. Uh, before playing in the CFL for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and in the World League for the London Monarchs. His brother, Bryce, is a wide receiver who's playing for North Dakota in 20. He played for them in 2021. He was the captain for both the football and basketball team at his high school. And lastly, we have Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy, 13 TDs, four interceptions, threw for 1,374 yards with a rating of 107.33. His overall rating on Madden is 72. Age is 22, real young. Speed 78, strength 63, agility, agility 81, acceleration 86, and awareness 77. Born Brock Richard Purdy and nicknamed Mr. Irrelevant, he played college football at Iowa State and was selected by the Niners with the final pick of the 2022 draft. After being named to the third string, Injuries to quarterback Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo forced him into a starting role. He won all five regular season games, and he started contributing to the team's 10-game winning streak that propelled them to a division title and an NFC championship game appearance, becoming just one of five rookie quarterbacks to start in a conference game. So, woo, there you go. There's a... 49ers, the San Francisco 49ers brain trust, Benny. What you got? Oh, my God. So much information. Let me break it down for everybody and make it real simple, okay? GM John Lynch, first of all, great player. No doubt about it, Hall of Fame player. Deserves to be there. Big time hitter. I'm not going to say he was as good as Ronnie Lott, but God Doggone it. That's a hell of a comparison for a guy to come up and have a role model like Ronnie Lott. John Lynch brought the paint, no doubt about it. Stanford guy, mentored by John Lynch, uh, 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 Walsh, Walsh, Steve Walsh. Bill Walsh. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Mr. Walsh, I should say. Okay. <laughs> um, and obviously very intelligent, knows what he's doing really good top-ranked general manager. He's been able to keep the 49ers afloat without having a lot of draft picks. 
without doing a whole bunch of free agent moving, uh, or or should I say losing major players in free agency. He has been able to pick up some major players in free agency because he obviously knows what he's doing, okay? He's still kind of recovering from the one bad mistake that he made, but they stay relevant. What did you say they were, 13 and 4 last year? 13 and 3, 13 and 4, yeah, something like 13, that. 13 3, 13 4. Even after giving away three first-round draft picks for a bust, Trey Lance. But we'll get to him later. Now, Kyle Shanahan, no doubt about it, top-notch head coach. Calls his own plays, knows what he's doing, great offensive mind. His father was a great offensive mind. He worked under him. He knows what he's doing. Somehow, some way, just like I talked about in the earlier segment where we were talking about running backs, knows how to plug guys in. And he's not just taking dudes off the street and just plugging them in. He has an eye for that, okay? He can run an offense with a pocket quarterback. He can run an offense with a dual-threat quarterback. This guy is a great head coach. The offensive coordinator is basically – an offensive line coach, a position coach that will be getting a check as an offensive coordinator. He'll do his thing during the week. I'm sure he'll have plenty of input on game plans and all. But on game day, Kyle Shanahan calls the plays. Defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes is a guy I really like who's gotten pretty much a raw deal. But I'm glad he's with a winner now and can really, uh, you know, show what he can do with a team that has a lot of talent, okay? Again, he's been a head coach with the Arizona Cardinals when they weren't very good at all. They got rid of him to bring in that Kingsbury dude who did absolutely nothing for them, okay? Then he got interim coach with Carolina Panthers. Doggone near turned him around in half a season. Deserved to get a chance to be the real head coach of that team. But instead, oh, no, they kicked him to the curb. So now he can go back to what he does best. That's coaching defenses. He's a defensive coordinator on a winning team with a roster full of good players. Now we'll see what Steve Wills can really do in his comfort zone. The, uh, the uh, special teams coordinator, obviously, is a career special teams coordinator. But he has had great success especially with the Seattle Seahawks. He took a guy, uh, Kyler Lockett, who we now know as a really good wide receiver, turned him into a kick returner, got the most out of him in a, as a kick returner early on in his career before they realized, hey, we can't afford to have this guy return the kicks because he's too good of a wide receiver. Took a great talent, a good multi-threat talent like Percy Harvin and made him a true weapon for sure so i gotta give this guy his props as a special teams coordinator when you get handed a percy harvin the problem with percy harvin was he couldn't stay healthy but when he was healthy he was a true weapon and this guy knew how to use him so i gotta give him credit for that now the quarterback situation the way i see it lines up like this as soon as brock purdy is ready he's the starter okay if they need somebody to hold down Everything until Purdy is ready, it's going to be Sam Darnold. He's already proven in OTAs that he's capable. 
We'll see even more come training camp and preseason games. I'm sure they're going to give him lots of time in the preseason games. Okay. Hopefully Trey Lance is healthy enough to try to be competitive for the backup job. But I see him as being a third string guy and being trade bait before he's considered a, a true bust by the rest of the teams in the NFL. Maybe they might be able to get something for it. I don't know, maybe a fourth or fifth rounder. Who knows? They better not wait too long, though. You're talking about my favorite player on Madden. Yeah. Lance. Well, guess what? <laughs> Nobody wins money on Madden unless you're in a money league or you bet. Okay? We so, see. I mean, he's got all the tools, you know. He's got all the tools, and it's hard. He? It's hard to compete against the. Yeah, well, don't get the, me started, bro. When you say he has Sam all the Darnold, tools, Sam Darnold <laughs> brings a, a wealth of experience. You know, I mean, that's a heck of a of a. And he's got a real coach now. Harrison, look back at Darnold's career. What he had to deal with with offensive coordinators and head coaches. Oh, yeah, Jets and... It's not all his fault. And that stuff. Yeah, yeah, he was in some crazy situations, but, you know, we'll see how that all works out. Okay, so you had your chance to castigate my quarterback, but you pretty much like most of the people on the team, so I have to take the good, the bitter with the sweet, as they say. Just remember, I told you day one. Okay, I you said it, you said it. So I don't mind remembering, you know. Now... Let's move on to the other team, the second-place team in that same division, and we talked a little bit about them already, the Seattle Seahawks. Okay, Benny, so the Seattle Seahawks, we have general manager John Snyder, head coach Pete Carroll, offensive coordinator Shane Waldron, defensive coordinator Clint Hurt, special teams coordinator Larry Izzo. Oh, Larry Izzo. Larry Izzo, yeah. And quarterback Geno Smith. We'll start off with Snyder. Uh, and first of all, the team was nine and eight last year. Okay, nine wins, eight losses, just a little over 500. They put up 407 points last year. And we talked about the ability of the offense to score. But they were also the, that team that gave up 401 points last year. Another one of those teams, like the Lions, that had prolific offenses, excuse me, and defenses that just gave games away, with that wound them up with a net point of plus six. 2010, Snyder was named the general manager. In 2013, they named him the executive vice president in addition to the GM. He manages all aspects of the Seahawks roster and draft process while working co collaboratively. That's an easy word for me to say. With uh, executive VP head coach Pete Carroll in all facets of the football operations department. He has 31 seasons working in the professional ranks. His philosophy is one primarily focused on building through the draft while making strategic acquisitions via trade and free agency that foster a competitive culture through a mix of youthful playmakers and veteran leadership. He continues to build and maintain a younger roster that breeds a sustained championship atmosphere. 
constructed a team that appeared in back-to-back -back Super Bowls and won Super Bowl 58, the first NFL title in franchise history. Um, and that championship was won with the youngest 53-man roster to ever win a Super Bowl. He was named Sports Illustrated Executive of the Year in 2012 after the Seahawks made the playoffs and just missed the NFC Championship. He has turned the roster over, Ben, since 2010, 3,300 transactions before the 23, 2023 season. So that's over 3,300 transactions from 2010 to 2023. Woo! He's working. <laughs> He and his personal department were awarded the 2022 Best Draft Award by Inside the League founder Neil Stratton at the 2023 Combine, an award voted on by fellow scouts and personnel members. His 2012 draft class was regarded as a failure outside of Seahawks headquarters, but was one that produced potential Hall of Famers and Bobby Wagner, Russell Wilson, and foundational pieces in draftees Bruce Irvin, Jeremy Lane, and J.R. Swizzy. He also picked up a, a fifth-rounder, Tank Carter, who was used in the 2010 trade when Seattle acquired Marshawn Lynch from Buffalo. They had him in Buffalo, Benny. <laughs> he was with the Green Bay Packers before the Seahawks as a uh, personal personnel analyst to the general manager and in 2008 was promoted to director of football operations. Before that, he spent three seasons with the Kansas City Chiefs, one year with the Seahawks and a year with the Commanders as vice president of player personnel. He's a native of the Pier or Wisconsin. He began as a is that word again, Benny? Intern during the summer of 1992 under Executive Vice President General Manager Ron Wolf. He graduated from the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul. He uh, went back to Green Bay, served as a pro personal assistant for four years, and played an integral role in the signing of several free agents who would make up the team that won Super Bowl 31 in New Orleans. He went to the Kansas City Chiefs in 97 as director of pro personnel. It was there that he first, first worked with Marty Schottenheimer, whom he would later join in Washington. With the Chiefs, he oversaw the scouting of all players with pro playing experience, including NFL Europa, the CFL, and the NFL conducted advanced scouting of all Kansas City opponents and was responsible for free agent acquisitions. In 2000, he subsequently signed on as director of player personnel for the Seahawks, joining Thompson and Mike Holmgren, with whom he worked in Green Bay. He joined Schottenheimer in 2001 as VP of player personnel, overseeing all aspects of player personnel departments. 2012, him and his wife launched Ben's Fund, named after their oldest son, Ben. Uh, his fund provides grants to young adults and families in order to help cover costs associated with medical bills, therapies, and numerous other aspects of supporting a child or children on the autism spectrum. They have partnered to raise more than $5 million for Ben's Fund in 12 years. And in addition to that, 
He spearheaded the opening of the AOK Sensory Room. And I remember reading about this at Lumen Field in order to better support guests with sensory needs. I think the Eagles have one of those in their uh, stadium now. The room was renovated and rededicated as Ben Room. It continues to offer guests a safe and calming environment for those who need a respite from the noise and excitement that comes along with the Seahawks game day experience. He serves on the GM Advisory Committee and Club Executive Committee Working Group. He got his degree in history and studied education also at St. Thomas. He played football for one year before a shoulder injury. He was born in uh, 1971, attended De Pere Abbott Pennings High School, and finished as one of the school's all-time leading rushers. He was a running back. So there's your John Snyder, general manager. Head coach Pete Carroll. Again, we got some history here, Benny. <clears throat> He's the uh, eighth coach of the C, head coach of the Seahawks after one of the most successful runs in USC history in the college ranks. He has 29 years of NFL experience and 19 years of college experience. His overall coaching record is 161-112-1 and one in the regular season and 11-11 11 and 11 in the postseason in his 17 years as an NFL coach. His combined 172 combined ones for regular postseason are the 16th most in NFL history. Now, I'm not going to go over the stuff that we talked about that he did with um, Snyder because it's the same thing for the most part. Let's see. Uh, him and Snyder constructed one of the best defenses in the last 12 years at the time, leading them to an NFL title. So we know about the uh, Seahawks defense and their young roster. Um he spent nine years as the head coach at USC, where he won seven, excuse me, seven. He won seven consecutive Pac-10 titles, two national championships, and led the Trojans to a 97 and 19 record, Benny. Tremendous college coach. Tremendous. Reached the bowl in each of his nine seasons and won seven. His 88 victories from 2001 to 08 tied Bob Pruitt of Marshall for most in Division I coaching. Uh, he reached 50 career USC wins faster than any coach in Trojan history. Uh, his team from 02 to 08 appeared in the NCAA record seven consecutive BCS Bowls. And 20, what is this, 09, 2009, he was named Coach of the Decade by Lindy's. Uh, USC under him was the first school to have three Heisman Trophy winners in a four-year span. That's Carson Palmer, Matt Leinart, Reggie, and I guess Reggie Bush. Somebody hit it twice, I guess, right? Uh, his USC program had the nation's most draftees in 06, 08, and 09. Um he began his NFL career as a defensive back coach for Buffalo and Minnesota before becoming the New York Jets defensive coordinator and head coach in 1994. He spent two years as San Francisco's defensive coordinator 
95 to 96, uh, before leading New England to a 27 and 21 record and two playoff appearances as head coach. Didn't know he was New England's head coach. He spent the 2000 season as a consultant for pro and college teams and doing charitable work for the NFL and writing a column on pro football for CNNSI. He began his coaching career at the collegiate level, serving as a graduate assistant at his alma mater for Pacific, uh, working with the wide receivers and secondary. He then spent a season as a graduate assistant with the unit secondary at Arkansas under Lou Holtz as the Razorbacks won the 1978 Orange Bowl. And then a season each as an assistant in charge of secondary at Iowa State and Ohio State. He spent three seasons as a defensive coordinator and secondary coach at North Carolina State before coming back to Pacific in 83 as the assistant head coach. He was a two-time All-Pacific Coach Conference free safety at Pacific and earned his bachelor's degree in 1973 in business administration. He has a secondary teaching credentials and a master's degree in physical education from Pacific. He was inducted into the Pacific Athletic Hall of Fame in 2022. He received an honorary doctorate degree from Pacific. He was a three-sport standout at Redwood High. That's football, basketball, and baseball, earning the school's athlete of the year as a senior. He played quarterback, wide receiver, and defensive back. Um, he was inducted into the inaugural Redwood F High Athletic Hall of Fame in 09. He then played football at Marin Junior College in Kentville, California, before transferring to Pacific. His passion for working with people goes beyond the football and into the community. He founded and championed philanthropic efforts in Seattle, Los Angeles, and around the country. While at USC, he started a better LA, and in Seattle, he created a better Seattle. Both worked with community-based street outreach teams serving youth impacted by gangs and the juvenile justice system. He spearheaded efforts to bring the youth empowerment and education programs We Day, W-E Day, to the U.S., resulting in the We Day being held across the country. He hosted a podcast, Flying Coach, along with Steve Kerr, world champion head coach for the NBA Warriors, combining sports with social justice issues. Ben, I went to look that up, and it's now hosted by Peter Schrager and Sean McVay. <laughs> no wonder we had such a hard time gaining some audience on the YouTube, man. Look who we're up against here. In 2021, he launched the award-winning podcast, Amplified Voices, Conversations from the Heart, spotlighting some of the most inspiring and influential voices today, as well as imparting Carol's legacy of caring leadership. He continues with his philanthropic efforts by supporting organizations and causes addressing social justice and education. And he was born in San Francisco. All right, offensive coordinator Shane Waldron. This is his second season. He had four seasons with the Rams, including the last three as a passing game coordinator. His emphasis on ball security produced the fewest giveaways in the NFL with 13 and second fewest in franchise history. 
This 2020 season saw quarterback Jared Goff pass for a career high 67.03 completion percentage. Okay. 3,900 yards and a third consecutive season, missing his third straight 4,000-yard season by only 48 yards. Can I, can I stop you for a second? Sure. He worked with Jared Goff where? In L.A.? Yeah. And he was the quarterback coach? Uh, passing game coordinator. Passing game coordinator. Okay. That's basically quarterback coach. Okay. Um, okay. Go ahead. Prior to joining Washington, he was at UMass as the Minutemen's recruiting coordinator, tight ends coach, and offensive line coach. Served as the offensive coordinator at Buckingham, Brown, and Nichols High School, and also as a Northeast sports consultant. A year earlier, he served as the wide receiver coach for the Hartford Colonials of the United Football League. Before the UFL, he worked with the Patriots in various capacities. In 02, he served as the operations, here's that word again, intern for two seasons before being promoted to the title of operations assistant, where he handled special teams quality control duties, in addition to overseeing the completion of weekly game plans. That's your uh, quality control coach there, Benny. He had three years of coaching at Notre Dame before he went back to New England and served as their offensive quality control coach and then later the tight ends coach. Um, while he was with Notre Dame, he helped the Irish to two of the most explosive offensives in the, in school history in 2005 and 06, where his teams averaged 31 points per game. He's out of Portland, Oregon, a graduate of Tufts University, where he was a three-year letter, letterman playing for Bill Samco. All right. D.C. Clint Hurt. Uh, he joined, he was hired in 2017 after two years with the Bears. He was the outside linebackers coach and one year as the Bears assistant defensive line coach. Uh, this is his first season as defensive coordinator. Uh, he was the defensive line coach uh, and the assistant head coach. Before the Bears, he had 13 years in the college ranks. Uh, coaching 14 NFL draft picks during that time. He worked as Louisville's defensive line coach, recruiting coordinator, adding the title of assistant head coach from 2011 to 13. During that time, their defense was tops in the nation in sacks, total defense, rushing defense, and third down defense, and second in scoring defense. He got there from Miami, which is his alma mater, where he worked as the team's defensive line coach, adding the title of recruiting coordinator in 2007. He began his coaching career as a volunteer strength and conditioning coach uh, before working as a graduate assistant for the Hurricanes. In between stints in Miami, he spent 2005 season at Florida International University as the Golden Panthers defensive line coach, where he coached Antoine Barnes, who became the first player ever to be drafted out of FIU by the Ravens. He was a three-year letterman at Miami before his career ended due to injury. All right. Larry Izzo, special teams coordinator. This is his fifth season with the Seahawks. Um, he spent seven seasons coaching with the Giants and Houston following a 14-year 
playing career. In 2018, Seattle's special teams included the second oldest kicker in the league, Juan Sebastian Janikowski, and one of the youngest punters in the league, rookie Michael Dixon. As we know, Janikowski went on to become the third player to kick three game-winning field goals with no time left on the clock. Um, he joined the Texans uh, after spending the time with the Giants. He was part of uh, the Giants' Uh, Super Bowl, what was that, uh, 56 victory in 2011. In 2015, the Giants finished second in the Dallas Morning News annual comprehensive ranking of the league special teams. Um, it says here, 2012, they made significant contributions to their winning season and finished seventh in the Dallas Morning News Morning News annual ranking. In 2011, his first season with the Giants, he won his fourth Super Bowl ring and first as a coach. He coached, let me see, in his 14-year um, career, he played for the Dolphins, the Patriots, and the Jets. He was a three-time Super Bowl champion with New England and a three-time Pro Bowler. He was one of 22 people in NFL history to win a Super Bowl both as a player and a coach. He's credited with 275 special team tackles in 200 regular season games and 23 more in 21 postseason games. He never played on a team with a losing record, and his teams participated in playoffs nine times, reaching five AFC championship games and four Super Bowls. His team, his teammates, his teammates selected him as a special teams captain nine times, including eight with the Patriots. He's considered one of the best special teams players in NFL history. He began his career in 96 as an undrafted free agent with the Dolphins. He made such a rapid and positive impact that in the preseason, head coach Jimmy Johnson said only two players were guaranteed to make the team. Future Hall of Fame quarterback Dan Marino and Izzo. <laughs> it was only two guys guaranteed to make the team. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. He's out of Woodland, uh, Texas. He was a four-year letterman, three-year starter at Rice. He played linebacker, finished fourth in school history with 301 tackles, including a record 46 for losses. As a senior captain, he had 121 tackles and named the consensus first team All-Southwest Conference selection. He graduated with a degree in business. In 2000, Izzo and Warwick Dunn participated in the USO tour to visit troops stationed overseas. They began their trip at Bagram Air Force Base in Afghanistan, where he helped open the Pat Tillman USO Center, then spent time with troops in Baghdad, Kuwait, and Qatar. So, what a guy, Larry Izzo. Quarterback, Geno Smith, Benny. 2022, 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, 4,282 yards for a 100.87 quarterback rating. His man rating is 80. Age is 31. His speed is 82, strength 58, agility 79, acceleration 78, and his awareness is listed at 81. I don't even think any of the other quarterbacks has, have an 81 awareness. He was drafted 
by the New York Jets in 2013 in the second round. He was placed in IR in 2017. He signed with your Giants as an undrafted free agent in 2018 with the Chargers in 2019 and with Seattle in 2019. He was released by Seattle and then re-signed uh, by Seattle. Um, he saw his first action for Seattle in the second half versus the Jets in a lopsided game. In his first season, he served as Russell Wilson's backup but did not play. So he had a, a, a pretty long and winding road. Uh, last year, he posted three, excuse me, three 300-yard performances and two three-touchdown games in his career. He played four years at West Virginia. He was a team captain for three years, completing 988 passes for 1,465 yards. That's a 67.4 percentage. He set school records for completions, passing yards, and TD passes. At top 300 passing yards in 15 career games. As a senior, he was a finalist for the Manning Award and the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award. His given name is Eugene Cyril Smith III. He was born in Miami. For the cause, my cleats, my, uh, cause my cleats, he wore cleats promoting United Way of Miami Day. He attended the United Way New York City Gridiron Gala with teammates to help raise over $2 million. He earned a degree in English from West Virginia, and he was recognized by EA Sports as the second team All-American lettering in football and in basketball. So Geno Smith, a little bit of basketball, a little bit of football, long career, oldest quarterback we've talked about so far, 34 years old, Benny. Highest awareness of any team that we've talked about so far. Uh, Let's see right. the best Let's quarterback with, in the division. <laughs> Let's start with Gino. First of all, a little bit of basketball, a little bit of football doesn't do him justice. Gino Smith was a great college quarterback. He put up huge numbers at West Virginia. And if I'm not mistaken, he was a Heisman candidate his last year at West Virginia. I don't know if he was like a top three or top four guy that got invited to the to the award ceremony, but I remember him having a top-notch season his last season. He put up really, really good numbers. And when he came into the NFL, I expected big things from him. But I think his head was a little bit too big, and he fell on hard times when he got to the Jets, got in a fight with somebody in the locker room, never really – got it together, but over time, and having been bounced around a few times, I think he finally got himself together. And last year, had a career year for the Seahawks. Even though he is now 31 years old, I think Geno Smith can right the ship and actually make a decent NFL career for himself in the later years of his career uh, after really kind of getting himself together last season with the Seahawks. Now, that being said, I'm going to jump over to John Snyder, the GM. John Snyder's a really good GM. He's proven that by keeping the Seahawks relevant after making all those moves that you said he made between the years of whatever you said to wherever you said. 
I don't remember the years, but it's a big span, okay? And he has made great moves. And he was the architect. I know we talked about Dan, uh, Dan Quinn being the defensive coordinator for the Legion of Boom. But Schneider was the architect of getting the players to put on the field to create the Legion of Boom. He cut his teeth with the Green Bay organization when Wolf was there as the GM and Holmgren was there as the coach. So he learned from some of the best. He also had a stint with Schottenheimer in Kansas City, which did him justice also. So I got to give props to Mr. Schneider. Now, Pete Carroll is probably, when you look up players coach in the dictionary, there's going to be a picture of Pete Carroll there smiling. Okay? <laughs> Pete Carroll's players love him. And that's why high school kids going into college had a great affinity for this guy. That's why his college career was as great as it was. He took a big time organization, a big time program like USC, who has had lots of success over a multitude of years and have had great coaches, really great. Remember OJ Simpson went to USC, okay? Uh, 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 James White, uh, Charlie Davis. Uh, I'm just naming running backs right now. USC has a tremendous history of greatness. What's his name? It uh, went to the Saints. Who? The quarterback and the running back that went to the Saints from USC. Recently? No, back in the day. Oh my God! Black running. I don't know. They're all over the place. Yeah, they all went. Okay, they all to. made the pros. <laughs> my point is, he was one of the greatest college coaches for the period of time that he spent at USC, ever. Okay. He took what he did in college and tried to take it to the NFL, and early on, he was not very successful. His head coaching stint with the Jets. Did not go great. His head coaching stint with uh, the Patriots did not go great. He went back to college and was still great. So it was like, this guy just needs to be in the right spot. And he found the right spot with the Seattle Seahawks. Took him to the Super Bowl. They won one. They should have won another one. They gave one away to the Patriots. Okay. But this is a guy. The players love him, but he's one of the head coaches who doesn't really have, you know how we say, well, their head coach is an offensive guy or the head coach is a defensive guy. Pete Carroll's kind of just a head coach. So you don't have to worry about him calling plays. That means that their uh, offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, has got his work cut out for him. Now, he was the offensive coordinator last season and did a bang-up job with Geno Smith. I thought he called plays well. He put Geno in a lot of winning situations, okay? And he really had their offense humming along there. They made the playoffs. They did a really good job. So he seems to be a decent, uh, a decent offensive coordinator. 
especially in the, the play calling uh, situation. They got a good running back. Not only do they have Lockett and Metcalf at wide receiver, but they drafted a great wide receiver out of Ohio State. And I think that offense is going to keep on going, keep progressing, and keep getting better. I think Shane Waldron is the right guy for the job. Now, we got to look the other way for the D.C., Clint Herbert. He was the D.C. last year, and they didn't do very well. However, I think they've done a little bit in the free agent department and a little bit in the draft to give him a little bit better talent. But he's got his work cut out for him. They're never going to progress as far as they need to progress come the postseason until he gets that defensive defense together. So Clint Hurt has got some work to do. Special teams coordinator Larry Izzo. You got to respect this dude. Undersized linebacker. Played it like 5'10", 230. Okay. As a linebacker for Miami where he really made his name, and then to the Patriots, where he won three Super Bowl rings, okay? Started as a linebacker and played special teams almost his entire career. This guy knows about special teams. This is the hard-nosed, dog-type dude that you want for your special teams coordinator. Larry Izzo is that guy. Okay, he may never be anything other than a special teams coordinator, but you look up special teams coordinator in the dictionary, it's a picture of Larry Izzo. Okay, okay. enough with that analogy. <laughs> I, I can't help it. That's that's how strongly I feel about certain people. If I say you look him up in the dictionary, his pictures there, that means I feel very, very strongly about this guy and the job that he's doing. Okay, last but not least, oh. We talked about Geno Smith first, right? Yeah. I like Geno. I love Geno in college. People don't remember because he's been around a long time and he's bounced from team to team. People don't remember how good Geno was in college. Geno has the skills, man. I think his next few years are going to be pretty prolific, especially if his offensive coordinator continues to, to add on to what he did last season. All right. All right. Well, that looks to be part of the serious current competition in the division. The L.A. Rams uh, are the next team up. They have five wins, 12 losses for a .294 win percentage. They scored 307 points, but they gave up 384 for a minus 77 net points. Um, the GM Les Snead is going into his 11th season with the Rams. He was hired for that position back in 2012. He partners with head coach Sean McVay to direct all personnel decisions for the team. He also coordinates all aspects of the team's football operations with head coach and joins forces with COO Executive VP Kevin Demoff and VP and Vice President of Football and Business Administration, Tony Pastores, to direct the team's business ventures. His tenure has been marked by strategic, aggressive moves that have created a strong core nucleus of talent and depth. He set his philosophy in motion 
just days after his hiring and continued it through the 2022 season. After guiding the Rams through the organizational rebuild and transition back home to L.A., Snead and the Rams have continued to thrive in the contention phase of the NFL roster building and have created a team building philosophy and model that other teams are beginning to emulate. Under his guidance, the Rams have recorded five consecutive winning seasons, reaching the postseason four of the last five with two Super Bowl appearance and one championship. From 2012 to 17, he made 52 selections in the draft with five earning All-Pro honors, the most in the league during that time frame. Snead played tight end for Auburn from 92 to 93. It was part of the Tigers' perfect 11-0 team in 93. He earned Southeast Region Academic All-American honors during his college career. He is from Ephala, Alabama. He holds a bachelor's of science degree in psychology and planned to attend medical school until he was offered a graduate assistant coaching position at his alma mater. He earned a master of education degree at Auburn while working as a, and while working as a graduate assistant and also served as the administrative assistant of football operations. In addition to his duties with the Ram, he also sits on a pair of advisory boards, including Game Breaker, a soft shell headgear company powered by D30 impact technology to help alleviate some of the abrasions that come with playing any sport or non-contact sport. He also serves as a board member on the Curry School Foundation Board at UVA, a dynamic group of professionals that have committed themselves as fundraisers and ambassadors of the school, promoting Curry's work among their network of colleagues and acquaintances. He's married to Kara Henderson, Kara Henderson Sneed, a former sports media personality who has worked for NFL Networks, co-hosting NFL Total Access and providing in-depth interviews, pre-game and post-game reports, and sideline reports for a variety of shows across the network, including NFL Total Access, Around the League, NFL Game Day Morning, and NFL Game Day Final. Kara graduated cum laude from Duke and began her career as a production assistant at ESPN and later ABC News. He was with the Falcons, who had four consecutive winning seasons. They played in one Super Bowl and two NFC championships during his time with the club. He also spent time with the Jacksonville Jaguars in their pro scouting department. He was hired by the Jaguars prior to this franchise's first season and helped put together a team that garnered the AFC Championship berth in just his second year of existence. Jackson won his first division title and Sneed's final year there. All right. Head coach Sean McVay. Uh, he's the 23rd full-time head coach in franchise history and the youngest coach in modern NFL history at 30 years old. This team won a pair of playoff games and advanced to the Rams' fourth Super Bowl appearance days after his 33rd birthday, becoming the youngest NFL coach to lead a team to the Super Bowl. Following his second season, he ranked 17th on Fortune Magazine's World Greatest Leaders Top 50 list. World's Greatest Leaders Top 50 list. 
Uh, he's joined on that list by Bill Gates and Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New England. <laughs> what? Yeah, world leader. Come on, man. Okay. He was also named the Associate Press Coach of the Year, the youngest to ever get that award. Uh, he completed his third season with the Washington football team before the Rams. After initially being promoted, uh, he was the offensive coordinator. Prior to his promotion, he spent three seasons as a tight ends coach and one as the offensive assistant. He served as the offensive assistant for Washington and worked with the tight ends. Um, before that, he worked with the Florida Tuskers of the UFL. The Tuskers finished a perfect 6-0 before losing their inaugural championship game. He originally entered the NFL as an assistant, an offensive assistant with the Buccaneers. He graduated from Miami University of Ohio. He played wide receiver, earning Miami Scholar Athlete Award in 07. His grandfather, John McVeigh, served in various roles, including VP, Director of Football Operations for the Niners, overseeing five Super Bowl championship squads and earning an induction into the Niners Hall of Fame in 2013. Offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur. Before coming to the uh, to the Rams, he spent two seasons as the OC for the Jets. Before that, he was on the Niners coaching staff, serving as a passing game specialist and wide receiver coach, and then a passing game coordinator and handle passing game coordinator duties exclusively for the next two years, um, after which the uh, Niners hired Wes Welker as their 49ers receiver coach. He began his career in 2004 as an offensive intern. There's that word again with the Browns. After the Browns, he went to Atlanta as an OC, as an offensive assistant with the Falcons. Before that, he spent five seasons at the collegiate level, um, starting with his alma mater, Elmhurst College. He played quarterback and safety and was a three-time captain and letter winner. D.C. Raheem Morris, this is his third season. Uh, he worked with Sean McVay back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Washington football team. He was the D.C. at the Atlanta Falcons. Um, and then in the 21 season, that uh, culminated with a Super Bowl championship with the Rams. Okay. That's in 2021. After spending his first season with the team as assistant head coach, defensive passing coach, he transitioned to the offensive side of the ball and was named the assistant head coach, wide receiver coach, while in Atlanta. Um, let's see here. He joined the Falcons after spending three seasons as a D-back coach for the Washington football team. That's why I was saying you hear a lot of this Washington, Atlanta. Yeah, this is all the Mike Shanahan tree. Yeah, 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 for sure, sure. Before Washington, he spent three seasons as the head coach for the uh, Buccaneers. 
He was the league's youngest head coach back at that time. Finishing with a 10-6 record, they made their best turnaround in franchise history in 2010 after going 3-13. He served multiple capacities with the Buccaneers during two stints with the team before being promoted to head coach. He spent one year as a defensive coordinator at Kansas City in 2006, where he helped seven Wildcats conference honors. His unit featured two first-team All-Big 12 selections and one second-team. He made his coaching debut with the Bucs as a defensive quality control coach when the team won Super Bowl 37. At that time, the defense allowed an NFL low 12.3 points per game. They weren't giving up much of anything. He began his college co coaching career as an assistant at Hofstra. He coached at Cornell as a D-backs coach and special teams coach. He also held a defensive minority intern position, internship uh, position. There's that word again, intern, with the Jets in the fall of 2001. He played safety at Hofstra and received his Bachelor of Science in Physical Education He's out of New Jersey. Jumping over to special teams coordinator Chase Blackburn. Uh, he came around in 2023. He was an assistant special teams coach for the Titans. Before the Titans, he had six seasons with the Panthers. Before that, he played in, for 10 NFL seasons, eight with your Giants, and two with the Panthers. It was an undrafted free agent out of Akron. That leads us to quarterback Matt Stafford. Last year, he had 10 touchdowns, eight interceptions, threw for 2,087 yards for the 87.44 quarterback rating. His Madden rating is 74. He's 34 years old. His speed is 75, strength 66, agility 72, acceleration 65 and awareness is 70. So he ain't trying to run much of anywhere. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Stafford was the number one overall pick in 2009, threw for 4,084 yards, 26 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. He spent 12 seasons in Detroit and departs as the Lions' all-time leader in completions, passing yards, passing touchdowns, and quarterback wins. He's the fastest quarterback in NFL history to 20,000 passing yards, 30,000 uh, in 71 games, 30,000 in 109 games, and 40,000 in 147 games. So Matthew Stafford had a lot of success in Detroit, but he, he had to go to L.A. with the Rams to get that Super Bowl done. So there's your Rams brain trust. Whew, man. All right, let me break it down for you. Les Snead did his thing, as most general managers do, coming up through the ranks as a scout. Uh, pro scout, director of player personnel, and then GM. He's been the GM of the Rams since 2012, meaning, meaning he was in St. Louis, 
and then made the transition over to L.A. Put together the Super Bowl team. So I got to give him credit for that. Les Snead knows what he's doing. They're trying to come back uh, after having a, a, a couple of down years. Um, well, we'll talk about Stafford later. Okay, so I think Snead's going to keep them relevant. He's got a lot of uh, credit. He gets a lot of credit, as he should, for putting together the team that won the Super Bowl not so long ago. So I think he can turn this thing around uh, without them having too many, too many more down years. Okay. Head coach Sean McVay is one of those guys we talked about that was an assistant coach or position coach in Washington under Mike Shanahan. Definitely comes from the Shanahan tree. Has been called an offensive genius. Guy still young, already has a Super Bowl ring, and obviously knows his way around an NFL offense. Um, if the Rams are going to come back and be viable again, Sean McVay will have a lot to do with it. The OC is Mike LaFleur. Um, I'm not exactly sure if McVay is a play caller or not. Um, maybe you remember him being a play caller, but Mike LaFleur has been around for a while. He worked under the Mike Shanahan also. Uh, he was the uh, the offensive coordinator for the Jets last year. So he did call the plays for the Jets last year. And although the Jets didn't have as good a year as they would have liked, he handled all that Mike White and Zach Wilson crap at <laughs> quarterback. Right. And, and actually had them looking pretty decent considering all they went through at quarterback. So now they have uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers, but he's not there anymore. Right. Unfortunately, <laughs> he caught some unnecessary shrapnel <laughs> from that bomb that was the quarterback situation with the Jets. But he landed on his feet with the Rams. So we'll see how he does as a play caller for the Rams. Uh, D.C. Raheem Morris, this guy's got a nice resume. And although I did mention that he was on the Washington staff under Mike Shanahan, he really, really, really cut his teeth with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Okay. Uh, he was a position coach. He was a defensive coordinator. And he was a head coach with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers before going to Washington. Okay. Being with Washington obviously gave him a little boost. Because Mike Shanahan's, you know, he's part of that tree. Right. He did take part of that team. Um, I like Raheem Morris. Raheem Morris knows what he's doing. Raheem Morris, although they lost a couple players, uh, including uh, what's his name that played the corner for them, the boy with all the mouth. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I done had a few drinks, so I'm, I'm forgetting names right now. <laughs> but Raheem Morris. Raheem Morris is a very good defensive coordinator. If LaFleur can do his thing and keep the offense rolling, Raheem Morris definitely will do his thing defensively. They've got a good, strong core over there. They're going to have to replace uh, Jalen Ramsey. That's the corner I was still trying to think of. They're going to have to replace him, but I think he'll be able to handle that. Uh, Chase Blackburn 
kind of like Larry Izzo, not as big an impact player as Larry Izzo, but he played linebacker for the Giants, and he also was a special teams guy for the Giants. That's all I got to say about him. Um, Matthew Stafford, unfortunately, played most of his prime years in Detroit on losing teams, but does have a Super Bowl ring with the Rams and could possibly squeeze out another couple of really good years with the Rams if Snead and McVay and LaFleur and Raheem Morris can keep this team going. Uh, I believe they will have the personnel to get it done. Uh, Stafford did injure his arm last season, but he should come into this season pretty healthy, and we'll see if he can carry this offense. All right, Benny. So the next team up and the last team on our list is the Arizona Cardinals. We're talking about GM Monty Ossenford, head coach Jonathan Gannon, offensive coordinator Drew Petzing, defensive coordinator Nick Rallis, special teams coordinator Jeff Rogers, and quarterback Kyler Murray. Let's start off with the GM. Now, Monty Ossenford was hired as the Cardinals GM in 2023 after uh, spending the past three seasons as director of player personnel with the Tennessee Titans. Mm -hmm. He has 21 total seasons working in the NFL, and his teams have earned a postseason berth 16 times. With the, with the Titans, he posted a 23-10 and 10 record and earned back-to-back -back AFC South titles. Before that, he had a 14-year run with the Patriots and worked his way up from area scout to director of college scouting. He came to Arizona with 21 years of experience in the NFL. That's uh, three with Tennessee and 15 with the Patriots. Over his course of 15 seasons with, the, with New England, he served as director of college scouting, assistant director of college scouting, national scout, area scout, and personnel assistants. In between his two tenures with the Patriots, he worked with the Houston Texans as a pro and college scouting assistant. He started his career in the NFL with the Vikings as a training camp, excuse me, training camp intern and worked with the Texans during their inaugural season in 2002 as a pro personnel intern under general manager Charlie Casserly. His first job in the NFL came with New England as a personnel assistant under Belichick a year that concluded with the Patriots beating the Carolina Panthers in the Super Bowl. He was a four-year letterman and two-year starter at the University of Minnesota, Morris. Uh, he completed 411 of 923 passes for 4,263 yards and 21 TDs. He continues to rank first in program history in pass attempts fourth in completions, and fifth in total yards. He graduated with a degree in economics and management and a master's degree in business administration and sports management from Ohio University. Next up is head coach Jonathan Gannon. Now, he's out of Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio. He has 15 years of experience in the NFL. He was with the Eagles, the Colts, the Vikings, the Titans, the Rams, and the Falcons. 
He became the NFL uh, head coach in 2023 in Arizona after spending two years as the defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, this is funny. Under Gannon, the Eagles boasted a top 10 defense in each of the past two seasons, ranking second in total offense and 10th in the NFL, um, only allowing 328.8 yards per game. This past season, the Eagles also featured the NFL's top-ranked pass defense and the league's eighth-ranked scoring defense. Excuse me, individual sacks. Became an official stat in 1982. Philly became the first team ever to have four different players with 10-plus sacks in a single season. He coached with three different teams, the Eagles, the coach, and the Vikings, who have combined for six playoff berths in the last eight seasons. Let's see. He worked with the Indianapolis Colts back in 2018 and was the assistant defensive backs quality control coach with the Vikings after working with the Titans. He spent three seasons as a scout with the NFL Rams, excuse me, with the St. Louis Rams, after beginning his NFL career with the Falcons back in 07, where he got his start working under head coach Bobby Petrino, who was his head coach while he was a student at Louisville. He played collegially as a safety. Um, he had a career-ending hip injury in his first career start in Cincinnati. Following the injury, he worked as a student assistant at Louisville for three seasons and one as a graduate assistant. He attended St. Ignatius High School, where he was an all-state defensive back, standout in both basketball and track. He was inducted in the St. Ignatius Sports Hall of Fame in 2011. So that's one Jonathan Gannon. Now, offensive coordinator Drew Petzing, He's in his first season with the Cardinals, 10th in the NFL. He came to the Cardinals after spending the past three seasons with Cleveland, including last season as the quarterback's coach. Before that, he was with Minnesota as the Vikings wide receiver coach. He spent six seasons as an assistant with the Vikings, with the wide receivers, he worked as an assistant quarterback coach, wide receiver coach. Petzing and Cardinals head coach Jonathan Gadden coached together in Minnesota for four seasons. He served as a graduate assistant at Boston College for two years after working as a volunteer assistant coach at Harvard. He was at Harvard, Benny. He worked for one year uh, at Yale before spending the 2013 season with the Browns. He spent his first two years as a player at Middlebury College as a defensive back before injuries cut his playing career short. He served as the assistant, uh, student assistant for the next two years before graduating in 2009 with a degree in economics and minors in math and philosophy. All right, that's Drew for you. Defensive coach Nick Rallis was hired in 2023. Uh, he spent the past two seasons as a linebacker coach with the Eagles. 
So he came along with Jonathan Gannon. He started his coaching career as a quality control coach at Wake Forest. He played in high school and was a recruit for the state of Minnesota as a senior, according to Rivals.com. Played linebacker at the University of Minnesota. He was a golden gopher. Appeared in 26 games. Uh, his older brother, Mike, also played linebacker in Minnesota and now is a star in the WWE known as Madcap Moss. Don't you like, weren't you a, a wrestling guy at one time? Yeah, he's a bum. <laughs> he's a bum wrestler. A bum wrestler. <laughs> he graduated with a degree in business marketing from Minnesota and earned his master's in sports and exercise. I wouldn't even want that on my Wikipedia page. <laughs> Jeff Rogers worked as the Cardinals special teams coordinator in 2018 after working there with the Chicago Bears back in 2015. He has 22 years of coaching experience. Worked with Arizona, Chicago, Denver, Carolina, Carolina, and my beloved San Francisco 49ers. He also spent four seasons as a special teams coordinator with the Broncos. He began his coaching career at the University of Arizona in 2001. Spending two years as a graduate assistant, working with the secondary and linebackers coach under head coach John Makovic. He came into the NFL with the 49ers as a special teams quality control coach before being elevated to assistant special teams coach. He left the Niners and served as a special teams coordinator for one season at Kansas State. Then he spent two seasons in Carolina as a Panthers special teams assistant. He played linebacker at North Texas, where he earned a degree in business specializing in entrepreneurship and strategic management. So there you have Jeff Rogers. That leads us to the final entry, the player, quarterback Kyler Murray. Last year, Kyler Murray had 14 touchdowns and seven interceptions, 2,368 yards for a rating of 87.21. His Madden rating overall is 79. He's 25 years old. His speed is 91. His strength, 59. His agility, 90. His acceleration is 95. And his awareness is 73. 95. Selected over number one overall by the Cardinals in 2019, he earned NFL Rookie of the Year and was twice named the team captain, was named to the Pro Bowl twice in his first three seasons, became the first QB in franchise history to be named to the Pro Bowl twice, and joined Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and Russell Wilson as the only NFL quarterback named to the Pro Bowl each of their last two seasons. He became the first player in NFL history with 70-plus passing TDs and 20-plus rushing TDs in his first three seasons. His 66.86 completion percentage is, his, is the best in NFL history in a player's first three seasons with a minimum of 100, excuse me, of 1,000 pass attempts. 
His 1057 completions are the second most in NFL history and a player in a player's first three seasons behind only Andrew Luck. I was getting blown away by this by the accomplishments here. He completed 70 plus percent of his pass attempts in seven games in 2021, giving him an NFL record 17 games with 70 plus completion percentage in his first three games. He joined Cam Newton as the only player in NFL history with 11,000 plus passing yards and 1,500 plus rushing yards in his first three seasons. He's the fourth youngest player in NFL history to reach 10,000 career passing yards. He received the 2020 Bridgestone Clutch Performance Player of the Year Award and the Best Player Award in the 2021 ESPYs for the Hale Murray. Remember that? 43-yard game-winning TD pass to one DeAndre Hopkins with just 0.002 seconds remaining in regulation against the Bills. In week seven of the 2020 season, he became the first player in NFL history to throw for 350-plus yards, three-plus touchdowns, and also rush for 50-plus yards and a touchdown in a single game. Woo! Man, he was a first-team All-American as a junior in 2018 in Oklahoma, won the Heisman Trophy, was named the Associated Press Player of the Year, earned Davey O'Brien's Quarterback of the Year, Manning Award, and the Earl Campbell Tyler Rose Award Honors. He attended Allen High School in Texas, where he ranked as one of the most accomplished Texas high school players ever, and named the best Texas high school football player of all time in a fan poll by Texas High School Football Magazine. In 2012 and to 15, he won three consecutive 5A Texas State Championships um, and capped off his high school career with the 2014-15 Gatorade National Football Athlete of the Year honors. I'm telling you, it's amazing. He also starred on Allen's baseball team and was the first player ever, ever selected to play in Under Armour's All-American game for both football and basketball. He was an outfielder on the Oklahoma baseball team. Uh, he started 50 of his 51 games for the Sooners and hit 296 with 10 home runs, 13 doubles, 47 RBIs, 46 runs, and 10 stolen bases. His father, Kevin, lettered at Texas A&M and finished his career holding virtually every season and career passing record. Kevin was also inducted into the Texas A&M Athletic Hall of Fame and the Cotton Bowl Hall of Fame. He was a human relations major. When the Cardinals selected him number one overall, he became the first Asian American ever selected number one overall. He's one quarter Korean. His father is African-American and his mother, Missy, is half Korean. Her maternal grandmother was from South Korea. An avid gamer in 2021, he became a member of the FaZe Clan, one of the largest esports gaming organizations in the world. Uh, he was featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He has a passion for playing chess. The game he picked up in fourth grade, he was a member of the chess club at Dagan Elementary School in Louisville, Texas, and in fifth grade, in just his second year play or playing, 
Murray became the Dagan Elementary Chess Champion. Chess! So he knows his moves. It's kind of weird to hear all of this accomplishment and then have some questions about him going forward. But as they say, he got the bag. Now, what you going to do with that all bag? All right, let me break it down for you. Go ahead. Number one, when you talk about dual threat quarterbacks, you have to talk Kyler Murray because obviously this guy has some amazing physical talent. The problem is putting this guy in a system that is really conducive to his amazing physical talent. All those awards and great accomplishments and big numbers and all, they're all franchise records. They've never had a quarterback that can do all the things he can do. And that's great as far as franchise is concerned. But he ain't breaking no records nowhere else. Okay? And he's coming off a non-contact ACL, which is not easy to come back from. Usually, players, skill position players that get an ACL, it takes them into their second year of playing after being considered healthy before they actually come back and show what they can really do. So I'll tell you the truth. I don't expect a whole lot from Kyler Murray coming into the 2023 season. I don't know if he's going to be ready for week one or not, but whatever he does this season, I'm going to put an asterisk beside it. I don't think he's going to be very good. Now, from there, I'm going to go to the special teams coordinator, Jeff Rogers. And the reason I'm going to do that is because Jeff Rogers has been with the Cardinals since 2018, which means He's the longest tenured coach or longest tenured management person of, of any real consequence on this stinking team. Coordinator, yeah. This DC, Nick Rollis, this is first year as a DC. This guy's been a career position coach with the Vikings and the Eagles. This is first year as a DC with the Cardinals who are definitely defensively challenged. <laughs> the OC, Drew, what's his name? Petzing. Petzing. Okay. Career position coach with the Vikings and the Browns. This is his first year as an OC. And the head coach, Jonathan Gannon, DB coach with the Vikings and the Colts, and DC with the Eagles one time. And now he's a head coach, career position coach, Falcons, Vikings, Colts. First and one year as a DC on a team that was basically stacked. Now he's the head coach of a team that is very, very challenged offensively and especially defensively, depending on a first-year defensive coordinator and depending on his offense, he's a defensive guy. He's going to put his offense in the hands of a first-time offensive coordinator, career position coach. These dudes are in trouble. 
<laughs> Monty Ford, are you kidding me? Monty Ford, personnel assistant and scout with the Patriots. I'll give him this. Being a scout for the Patriots after they won three or four Super Bowls, I got to give him a little credit for that. I'm sure he had some input into how into the players that they picked up that took them to those Super Bowls. But other than that, he's been a director of player personnel for the Titans for two years, and now he's a first-year GM. Good luck. Yeah, he's a first-year GM for a team that was voted the, to have the worst facilities and support for the players in the entire league. Bruh. So all of that play a part in this. So as I've done since we started this brain trust thing, obviously it's the NFC West. I go to go with the Niners to win this thing pretty much hands down. But I must say, I do like the direction that the Seahawks are going in. They're going to give you guys a little bit of trouble. I don't think they'll threaten to win the division, but they are up and coming, especially if they can improve their defense. Um, what am I missing? Uh, 49ers, Seahawks, Cardinals, and what's, who? Rams. Oh, the Rams. You're going to have to watch out for the Rams, bro. You're going to have to watch out for the Rams. But a lot of the Rams' success is centered on how healthy Stafford's going to be. Okay? Cooper Cup comes back healthy, and Cam Akers is able to turn his career around, and Stafford is healthy. They're going to be very formidable on offense. Very formidable on offense. A lot more than a lot of people think. Cardinals won't give anybody any trouble. Cardinals will be lucky if they win six games. <laughs> that's your division right there. Yeah, that's your division right there, right? All right. Well, so you you you're going your pick for the division is the Niners? Yes, sir. All right. Well, Watch I, out for them Rams though. Yeah, I can't be mad at you. And I understand about the Rams, that's for sure. I'm still thinking watch out for those Seahawks though. Cause that Absolutely. Gets Absolutely. But the, the problem with the Seahawks is they have more than a little bit of work to do on defense. <laughs> yeah, they got a lot of work to do on defense, no doubt about it. All right, Benny, well, that wraps up the Brain Trust Series for 2023. We did every team in the NFL by division, all the divisions. Hopefully everyone uh, learned something about it. If I learned anything, it was – it was just so interesting to see the career paths of these gentlemen who have reached pretty high levels in the NFL, GM and the coordinator position, as well as, as well as the head coach position. The word intern came up a number of times. So if you're a young person out there and you're in college, you're thinking about and you're playing football and you're thinking about the next level, look for internships. And see, and because you can still play, you can go to the NFL and you can do all of that. But those internships should help you, no doubt about it. Um, 
just so much. And then, and then the other thing was everybody, for the most part, got not only a bachelor's, but so many of them got master's degrees in addition. So I guess while they were coaching, they were still going to school, still taking advantage of that. And uh, hopefully they got some scholarship money, but they're making good money now. So congratulations to that. Anything you want to do to wrap up the uh, the series there, Benny? Uh, no, I'm good to go. Um, coming up, we got uh, training camp starting. Um, in the near future, I like to do a segment on the schedule again. We kind of touched on the schedule a few weeks ago, early on, but I've done a little bit of research on the schedule uh, as it uh, – as it has to do with certain fans of certain teams and also fantasy football. There's a lot of stuff going on out there that's going to impact certain teams as far as the schedule is concerned, but that's for the future. Maybe next week, maybe in the next couple of weeks, we'll see. Well, I think this was a pretty uh, full show, Benny. You did your piece on the running backs earlier. We completed the uh, brain trust for the NFL. Um, I'm pretty much done. You got anything else you want to add? No, I'm good to go. Good to go? All right. Yeah. Ben and Barry on football at www.benandbarryonfootball. Be sure to click the notification bell and uh, follow us on Facebook so that you can make sure that you don't miss anything. All right. Have a good one.